We are now seeing what may be the most dramatic escalation in the response to the coronavirus pandemic in the United States. And I'll be completely honest, I am particularly worried. Trump is mulling a hard quarantine on New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut. Now it's personal. I live in New Jersey. We've already been under a shelter in place order. They've, they've, they've given us a nightly curfew. A couple people have already been arrested for having get togethers. I, I'm more worried about the people and the government for the most part than I am the virus itself. But the virus itself is also scary. We are seeing some major developments today that are ringing, are sending, uh, red flags for me, alarm bells. A lot of people say that with a large platform comes a certain responsibility. And, and I've actually had people say that I should, you know, always be more optimistic and not talk about the seriousness of certain things, make people believe it'll be fine. Okay, well, to a certain degree, I get it. But I'm just going to tell you how I really feel. I'm not going to sugarcoat anything or pretend like it's all going to be, you know, candy canes and rainbows. The media probably will. Many of them will just tell you things are going to be okay. It'd be fine. I'm not entirely convinced. I am not. China is now resealing up theaters. It's been months. They've been giving out thousands of urns. Now people in our media are questioning whether or not their numbers are legitimate. Surprise, surprise. We've all been questioning China for the longest time, thinking their numbers are not legit. But it's not just the hard quarantine that's freaking me out. It's stories like this. U.S. military command teams in charge of protecting homeland security are being isolated in the infamous Cheyenne Mountain bunker, where they will remain sealed off until the coronavirus pandemic passes. That's serious. The military, the government, they've made their decisions. But there's also other scarying things happen, scary things that, that are happening. Notably, in other states, in other areas of the country, they are now tracking down. The, the, the Daily Mail says hunting down. I don't want to be over the top on this one. The Hamptons wants to ban coronavirus refugees from the Big Apple and Rhode Island is sending the National Guard to find them as wealthy residents and celebs escape the virus epicenter. You see, the other day, we saw, the, uh, we, saw, we saw checkpoints starting to emerge between our own states. This is unprecedented. I mean, when has there actually been a border checkpoint between a state hundreds of years ago? The Constitution basically allows that we can travel whatever state we want. And there are several court cases, Supreme Court rulings, saying the states can't do this. They're starting to. Florida, for instance, if you're from New Jersey or you're a resident of New Jersey, which I am, you can't go there. Or if you do, you'll be quarantined. So they're, they're, they're being careful not to say you can't come because that would be unconstitutional, but they're enforcing a quarantine. And if you break it, 60 days in jail. We are seeing this in Florida. We are seeing this in Rhode Island. In Rhode Island, it's the, the most serious that I've seen. And Vox wrote this story. Vox is a left-wing progressive site. Governors are starting to close their borders. The implications are staggering. In fact, in this story, they say, you know, despite what's going on, the union is still failing. It's, it's their opinion that the union is failing. Let me start by reading you this story and walking, walking you through what's going on. We're also hearing that the military is activating its civilian liaison federal authority or something, which is unprecedented. Apparently, it's never been done before. But I, I'll, I'll be honest, man, I've had real conversations with my friends about when is the right time to leave? We are not in an area that has been heavily impacted by the virus. You know, for the most part, we've seen our store shelves be rated of toilet paper. Certain things like dairy and, and water were bought up very quickly, but they were restocked. And we're in the South. We're not in the North in the New York metro. None of us are sick. 
And we don't know if we want to stick around to wait and see who does get sick. Maybe we should go home to our families, you know, like where, where we're all really from. We're not from the South Jersey area. It's Philadelphia. Maybe we should drive five minutes across the bridge to our buddy's place and we got to choose where we're going to stay. There was a story in foreign policy. I, this was a few weeks ago. They said the lockdown is coming and your window of opportunity to choose where you will stay in the duration is, is, is slowly closing. For me here in South Jersey, it's, it's closing fairly quickly. As already many states are saying, we're going to quarantine anybody from New Jersey. Well, we're not in a hard, hard place yet. So I have had real conversations about whether or not we stay or go. If, if I leave, I'm well equipped to go to my buddy's place not too far away and a more rural area. What I don't like about South Jersey is that, you know, I don't want to be in a very densely populated area. This is what we're seeing now with people fleeing New York, for instance. It's not so much that people are panicking and saying, ah, get out of the city, the end is nigh. It's everybody just saying, well, you know, it's time to go visit their relatives or bunker down somewhere else. But it's causing problems because there are too many people doing it. And this is the real moral conundrum. Maybe it's better for everybody if I just stay here and we just stay in the house. We've got some supplies. There's no, uh, I'm not, I have no reason to believe things are going to get substantially worse necessarily. But then I saw you know, the the army going to the bunker. And we also have this story from the New York Times. The stimulus will not save the economy from collapse. This is from March 22nd. And if that's the case, do you really want to be in a densely populated area? I honestly just don't know. But enough prattling. Let me get to the news and tell you exactly what's going on. And I'm not going to sugarcoat it. This stuff has me worried. Before we get started, as long as it matters, you can go to timcast.com slash donate if you'd like to support my work. There are several ways you can give. The best thing you can do, share this video. This stuff is important. And I think now it's more important than ever that people know what's going on. Subscribe, hit the notification bell. I, I, I very likely will be continuing my work on YouTube as long as I can. Um, I don't see any reason why I wouldn't be able to. But again, as things start to escalate, we can only wonder what comes next. And that's what has me, that, that is what has me worried. Trump mulls coronavirus quarantine on New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut. The president on Saturday said he is considering imposing an enforceable quarantine on New York, parts of New Jersey, and parts of Connecticut as part of the efforts to curb the spread of coronavirus. Some people would like to see New York quarantined because it's a hotspot. New York, New Jersey, maybe one or two other places, certain parts of Connecticut quarantined, he said outside the White House. I'm thinking about that right now. We might not have to do it. There's a possibility that sometime today we'll do a quarantine short term, two weeks for New York, probably New Jersey and certain parts of Connecticut. He even tweeted as much. I am giving consideration to a quarantine of developing hotspots, New York, New Jersey and Connecticut. A decision will be made one way or another shortly. He said that if such a move happened, it would be primarily restriction on residents in of those states traveling to other parts of the country. He later said that if enacted, it would not affect truckers or trade. He said that he had spoken to New York Governor Andrew Cuomo and Florida Governor Ron DeSantis and said there was a problem with people from New York traveling down to Florida. We don't want that. This will be an enforceable quarantine, but hopefully we won't need it. The move would be a dramatic escalation of the efforts to stop the spread of the coronavirus and comes in the back of those states essentially shuttering daily life, closing schools, businesses, leisure activities, and urging residents to stay at home. Cuomo, who was holding a press conference at the same time as Trump, at the same time as when Trump made his remarks to the press, expressed confusion at Trump's proposal, saying he had spoken to him about a hospital ship and opening up emergency medical sites, but not a statewide quarantine. I spoke to the president about the ship coming up and the four sites. I didn't speak to him about any quarantine, Cuomo said. I haven't had those conversations. I don't even know what that means. 
I don't know how that could be legally enforceable. And from a medical point of view, I don't know what you would be accomplishing. But I can tell you, I don't even like the sound of it. Not even understanding what it is. I don't like the sound of it. As Trump said this, I assure you, many people have already had conversations with their families about what, where the best place to be is. You see, some people are well off and they have summer homes or rural properties, or as Bernie Sanders like to call it, a summer camp in Vermont, like many other Vermonters, but not everybody does. Many people have no choice but to just stay home, but some people might be considering going to their family and staying with their family in this time, coming together, not being by yourself in your house. These are real decisions. And that's basically what I'm talking about. Do I stay in the house I'm in or do I go to my friends and family and do we, you know, stick together? It's a serious challenge. Maybe it's not right for me to leave. I don't know. I've had many people ask me, when will you bug out? I have a van. It's fully functioning. It's, it's fully capable of existing off the grid. But these are the legit, legit questions that are being asked. And I just don't know. Trump has expressed the desire to reopen the country and get the U.S. back on a normal footing after weeks of measures to stop the virus, but has also noted that there are hot spots that have particularly large cases of the virus. He has placed travel restrictions on other countries, including China, Iran, and the European Union. The administration has also restricted non-essential travel and the land borders with Canada and Mexico, but this would be the first such travel restriction within the U.S. We've talked about domestic travel restrictions before. Here we are. Now, this story, to me, was substantially more alarming. I just want to remind all of you, as we read this story about the U.S. Army's Northern Command locking people down in a bunker, China is lying. In all likelihood, China is lying. I have no reason to believe they're telling the truth on these numbers, and it's probably way, way worse. China has been under a lockdown for months. We can only assume the same thing will happen to us. In fact, they're seeing people get reinfected. We don't know why it's happening, but people who are, who are positive, recovered, testing negative, have once again tested positive, meaning this might come back. We might not have a strong immunity to it. You may be able to get reinfected. It could come in waves, in which case, what, when's the end of this? They say part of the U.S. Army's Northern Command in charge of Homeland Security is isolating at Cheyenne Mountain Bunker in Colorado as the coronavirus spreads across the country. The bunker is a command and control site, which was built inside, inside the mountain of the same name, located near Colorado Springs. To ensure that we can defend the homeland despite this pandemic, our command and control watch teams here in the headquarters split into multiple shifts and portions of our watch team began working from Cheyenne Mountain Air Force Station, creating a third team at an alternate location as well. Air Force General Terrence O'Shaughnessy, head of the U.S. Northern Command and NORAD said during a Facebook Live town hall with those under his command. Our dedicated professionals of the NORAD and NORTHCOM Command and Control uh, control watch have left their homes, said goodbye to their families and are isolated from everyone to ensure that they can stand the watch each and every day to defend our homeland. It's certainly not optimal, but it's absolutely necessary and appropriate given the situation. Actions speak louder than words, man. China has said over and over again, oh, everything's fine. Everything's fine. And then they barricaded people in their homes. They just recently reshuttered theaters. They, they tried to reopen things that didn't work. You see over and over again, the government saying everything's fine, and then things actually end up escalating. The scariest thing is that we're now seeing state borders close and people pretending like, no, 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 it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. And then it does happen. I don't know what to expect, but this is certainly scary stuff. The hunt for fleeing New Yorkers. The Hamptons wants to ban coronavirus refugees from the Big Apple, and Rhode Island is sending the National Guard to find them as wealthy residents and celebs escape virus epicenter. They, are, they have been placing the National Guard at train stations and bus stops. 
to, scr- to, to, to screen people, to see who is from New York and who isn't, and to force them into quarantine. They, they actually have some photos. You can see it. This is uh, Rhode Island planning to send the National Guard to hunt down any New Yorkers who have fled to the state. Now, hunt down, pretty hyperbolic way of explaining this, but they're trying to track this because they don't want this virus to spread. And I can totally get it. I don't know if I want to stick around and stay in a place that is potentially going to become a hotspot. Where I am right now is not a hotspot. Again, I want to stress that. Vox says governors are starting to close their borders. The implications are staggering. The coronavirus pandemic is testing the very notion that the United States are united. In fact, they say in the story, the union is failing. Texas Governor Greg Abbott signed an executive order on Thursday that would require travelers from some coronavirus hotspots to self-quarantine. It provides that every person who flies into Texas from New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, or the city of New Orleans, or in any other state or city, uh, as may be proclaimed hereafter, shall be subject to mandatory self-quarantine for a period of 14 days from the time of entry into Texas or the duration of the person's presence in Texas, whichever is shorter. Other states have imposed similar orders. Florida's Governor Ron DeSantis imposed an order on Tuesday that requires anyone flying from New York, New Jersey, or Connecticut to self-isolate for 14 days. Alaska and Hawaii also impose self-quarantine orders on people traveling from other states. These orders implicate one of the fundamental premises of the union among the 50 states, the right of American citizens to travel freely among, among them. As the Supreme Court recognized more than 170 years ago, we are one people with one common country. We are all citizens of the United States, and as members of the of the same community, community, we must have the right to pass and repass through every part of it without interruption, as freely as in our own states. The right of all U.S. citizens to travel freely among the states, the court later explained, and U.S. v. Guest, 1966, was conceived from the beginning to be a necessary concomitant of the stronger union the Constitution created. But now here we are, with those borders being tested, and even Vox saying the union is failing. What's particularly noteworthy with the story from Vox is that they start to recognize the importance of borders, pointing out that initially the states wanted to take care of their own poor and not poor people from other states. I kid you not. They actually said that. That's surprising. The progressive site tends to support these progressive left-wing politicians who don't understand how that's basically what we as a country are trying to do. When we talk about border security, we're saying America first, right? That if you're an American, you will be treated. We will provide for you as a member of our community. And if someone crosses the border from another country, we can't do that because we have to take care of our own before anyone else. But there were national social safety nets enacted. And then it made less sense. Everybody was getting benefits from the federal government. So the states didn't have to really worry about it. That's what they point out. The fact that we are now seeing states take the first step in creating statewide border restrictions or checkpoints to me, well, it's alarming because what comes next? And I will remind you that I said this before they implemented a curfew on New Jersey or a shelter in place order. I said, you always have to ask yourself when this happens, what comes next? And what do we expect? It's, it's potentially here. I don't know if Trump's going to enforce a hard quarantine on me and the state of New Jersey. Maybe it'll only be the northern parts that are in the New York metro. That would make sense considering New York is the hotspot. However, if you really want to contain this thing, you're going to have to quarantine more than just these states. I mean, they may have to lock down the entirety of the states because the assumption is many people have already fled. If Donald Trump is saying this now, many people are going to start leaving. And New Jersey does have many people infected with, with COVID-19. So 
even as I say this to you now, we're questioning whether or not we should stay or go to the friend, our friend's place across, you know, five minutes across the river. That's part of the problem. And that's the moral conundrum I've brought up. Maybe I should, for the, for the good of everyone else, just stay where I am. We're hopefully safe, but we're hoping things don't get worse, which brings me to the next point. I think they will. I don't think the stimulus is going to do anything to help us. I think we are at this point now, we're going to be looking at the deployment of the National Guard and potentially martial law. Look, I am the last person to exaggerate on like, you know, conspiracies or government control and lockdowns and all that stuff. But I feel as of right now, and I've been wrong in the past. I've been very wrong in the past. I've interpreted news wrong. I've been, I put a correction up even a couple days ago for being wrong. Totally embarrassing to get things wrong. But hey, you know what? Nobody's perfect, right? Right now, I think we're in serious trouble because the supply chain has already been disrupted when China started pulling back exports from its country. We've already seen these things happen in the European Union with some countries, you know, impounding certain supplies headed to other countries. You have to ask yourself what happens next. The stimulus bill will not save the economy from collapse. An opinion piece in the New York Times, that doesn't mean they're right. Although I agree with them, I think it is. I think it is right. How many people are going to be saved? By the stimulus package. I honestly don't think that many. I think the money will be a relief, but prices are, all, all, are already going up. You're going to get four months of guaranteed wages from the federal government. Sounds to me like we're headed towards Great Depression you know, era stuff. The only problem is we have a much larger population, much denser urban areas. So I think we are looking at a potential for martial law. You know why? I'm not just pulling this out of, out of thin air. Oh no, the military is going to come in. Ah, First of all, the National Guard's already been deployed. But martial law is different. Martial laws in the military, you know, military law supersedes civilian law. It would be armed forces coming in, and they can't do this, to, for the most part, under the Posse Comitatus Act. But brings me to the next story from Newsweek. U.S. military activates its never-before-used federal response to combat the coronavirus pandemic. We are inches away from it. Check out this story. While being hit with coronavirus at rates equivalent to the civilian population, the U.S. military has activated its defense support of civilian authorities apparatus, establishing liaisons in all 50 states, activating units and command posts, and moving forces to provide medical, transportation, logistics, and communication support in New York and Washington states. Lieutenant General Laura Richardson, the command of Army North, has requested and received approval from the deployment of ground units in response to the now declared national emergency. The moves begin to implement two existing contingency plans, Con Plan 3400 for homeland defense and Con Plan 3500 for defense support of civil authorities, as well as numerous new orders specifically relating to coronavirus. 18 states have also moved to appoint dual status commanders, uh, specially appointed National Guard officers who serve in both state and federal chains of command. The dual status commanders will report to General Richardson, as well as the governors of each state. The first and most important thing you all need to realize about all of this stuff. The people who are serving in the armed forces, who are on the ground providing support, and if there is some kind of martial law, the people who would be enforcing it are still Americans. They are still people we understand and relate with. They're people we know many of them. I know people who, who serve in the armed forces. The assumption that they're mindless drones is it's, it's a negative view of, of, of these things. If this activation happens, it's because they're trying to make sure we all stay safe. I do not believe in a grand conspiracy to hurt you know Americans. They're going to try and do their best. And the best thing we can do is be a part of a community and work together because that's how we get through this. But I do point this out because we're already seeing the activation of 
the, the U.S. military for the defense support of civil authorities. People are concerned that there will be martial law in the sense that someone in the military will come in and enforce laws. They don't need to do that. Under posse comitatus, like I said, my understanding is they generally can't. What can happen, however, is that these people act as civilian liaisons, not really enforcing their laws, but you will see local law enforcement acting at their advisement, to say the least. You can call it whatever you want. Some people would say this is it. But I'm telling you right now that according to Newsweek, the U.S. military has, in, has implemented two plans and they are coming out to aid civil, civil authorities. I don't know what else you want to call it. There you go. But the few things that have really raised flags for me, the most, the most notable would be U.S. military command teams going into an isolation bunker. So let's talk about what happens to the economy. Supply chain is disrupted. My store has food. So it seems like everything's fine. I mean, people raided the stores at first and, you know, took all the toilet paper. I mean, I have no idea why. Um, I guess they are really worried about not being able to wipe their butts or something. But the stores, re- the, the stores have restocked. Now my concern is, as people don't pay rent, then what happens? You see, the service and retail industries took a major hit when they shut down the economy. These people then lost their paychecks. Well, rent comes due on the first. That means the next wave of industries won't get their paychecks. And with the shuttering of retail services and the restaurant industry and local business, advertising is down and media companies are panicking. There is going to be a shockwave and it could get bad. It could get much, much worse than we're seeing now. In fact, they keep telling us it's going to get worse. And now we're facing the potential for borders between our own states. Not only is it already happening, I shouldn't even say potential, it's literally happening. Hard enforced borders. They will stop you. They will screen you. But now we're hearing Trump say, you know what? Maybe we're going to lock these, these places down. By the time you watch this video, I may already be under a hard quarantine. And I don't know what that means. I don't know if it's going to be an overall good thing or a bad thing, but I assure you conversations are happening now, whether or not the right place, you know, it's, it's right to be in one of these places. People don't want to be in New York City. And I think if you're in New York City, man, I feel bad for you. That's the last place you want to be. You can't grow your own food there. It's a big, big, big issue, right? Concrete jungle. A lot of people, maybe not having a lot of resources. How do you provide for everybody? And is it even possible for the U.S. government to go into a city as big as New York with supplies and distribute them effectively? Being locked in one of those tiny New York apartments would be like a prison sentence. Fortunately for me, my house is kind of nice. We got an area to skate in the back. But there are people telling me that I need to, you know, we need to come together. It's better to be with a group of friends and to be by, by yourself. And so I've got a buddy just across the river who's saying, we all want to stay in my place. It's not, you know, in New Jersey. I honestly don't know what to do, man. I've already gotten tons of people telling me to GTFO, that's for sure. And I certainly have a van capable of going anywhere. I don't know. For, many of you may know I built this beautiful van with solar power and all this stuff. I'm glad I have it. I don't know, I don't know what to do. Why don't you tell me what I should do? I'll leave it there. I will have more segments coming up at 6 p.m. at youtube.com slash timcastnews, my other channel, and I'll see you all then. I would like to thank Hillary Clinton for reminding us all how we dodged a bullet in 2016. You see, she tweeted, Trump did promise America first. And she was referencing a news story that said the U.S. now has more coronavirus patients than any or more people with coronavirus than any other country on the planet. Well, this may be true. If you go by the global numbers, yeah. It sounds like it makes sense. America, uh, the United States just soared past 100,000 confirmed cases. I think if you operate on common sense, you'd probably think that China has more cases and they're just lying. You see, China expelled all, uh, uh, several American journalists, not all of them, but many of them. And around the same time, started bragging about how they had no new cases. 
okay, well, there's actually a good argument for why that may be the case. It's an authoritarian country. They're locking people in their homes and detaining anyone who dares speak up. So when you have the authority to, you know, barricade someone's door shut and they don't do anything about it, I mean, yeah, hardcore social distancing. I'm sure it would work. The reality is, at least in my opinion, or I should say the reality is they just started shutting down theaters again. So they started lifting restrictions and all of a sudden stopped. And now we're seeing reports that there are new waves of infections. People who are already infected, tested, uh, recovered, and then once again tested positive. It could be that the coronavirus is coming back. But let's not, let's not uh, talk about the U.S. too much. I will mention, for, the, for those that were saying, you know, the flu is worse, congratulations, okay? Or I, I, should, I shouldn't put it that way, but now we have more infect, we're seeing more deaths than the flu, according to CDC. One New Yorker dies every 17 minutes, and 911 calls hit historic highs amid fears hospitals could collapse in nine days as the Big Apple death toll hits 450. But I want to I talk about China. Yes, we know in the U.S. we're seeing more and more cases. We're doing more and more testing, and we're still not doing enough because apparently they only really test people who are, who are patients who are actually sick. Some people who have traveled may have mild symptoms, aren't getting, uh, they aren't getting the test. But now take a look at this story. Stacks of urns in Wuhan prompt new questions of viruses toll. Hmm. Was China telling the truth about no new cases? Yet they're delivering thousands of urns to Wuhan. A lot of people think this isn't serious. They think it's not happening. They think the flu is substantially worse. Let me let me let me ask you a question, man. When was the last time you saw a story about thousands and thousands of urns being delivered to a bunch of grieving families? Like, you know, what's really crazy about this story. Let, let, Let me read this real quick for you. Bloomberg reports the long lines and stacks of ash urns greeting family members of the dead at funeral homes in Wuhan are spurring questions about the true scale of coronavirus casualties at the epicenter of the outbreak, renewing pressure on a Chinese government struggling to control its containment narrative. The families of those who succumbed to the virus in central Chinese in the central Chinese city, where the disease first emerged in December, were allowed to pick up their cremated ashes at eight local funeral homes starting this week. As they did, photos circulated on Chinese social media of thousands of urns being ferried in. Outside one funeral home, trucks shipped in about 2,500 urns on both Wednesday and Thursday, according to Chinese media outlet Kaixin. Uh, another picture published by Kaixin showed 3,500 urns stacked on the ground inside. It's unclear how many the urns had, have been filmed, uh, filled. People who answered the phones at six of the eight funeral homes in Wuhan said they either did not have data on how many urns were waiting to be collected or were not authorized to disclose the numbers. Calls were not answered at the other two. Some families said they had been forced to wait several hours to pick up the ashes. The photos circulated as mass, mass deaths from the virus spiked in cities across the West, including Milan, Madrid, and New York, where hospitals were erecting tents to handle the overflow as global infections soar past 500,000 with 24,000 dead. According to the Chinese government figures, 2,535 people in Wuhan have died of the virus. The announcement that a lockdown in place since January would be lifted came after China said its tally of new cases had hit zero and stepped up diplomatic outreach to other countries hard hit by the virus, sending some of them medical supplies. The other day, NPR reported they actually spoke with some uh, people, some Chinese people who had been infected, treated, and had recovered. These, this was an alarming story because it shows there's potentially the, the possibility for reinfection, which means 
this might not do anything. You might get this, get sick, and when you're cured, you might still carry it, meaning you're going to infect people, and and I don't know how long you're going to carry it for. We don't know. But one of the guys said that China isn't counting people who are asymptomatic carriers. And if that's true, that means the number in China is way higher. Bloomberg says, some in China have been skeptical of the accuracy of the official tally, particularly given Wuhan's overwhelmed medical system. Authorities' attempts to cover up the outbreak in its initial stages and multiple revisions to the way official cases are counted. Residents on social media have demanded disciplinary action against top Wuhan officials. Many people who died had COVID-19 symptoms, but weren't tested and excluded from the official case tally, Kaisen said. There were also patients who died of other diseases due to a lack of proper treatment when hospitals were overwhelmed dealing with those who had the coronavirus. There were 56,000 of 56,007 cremations in Wuhan in the fourth quarter of 2019, according to data from the city's civil affairs agency. The number of cremations was 1,583 higher than those in the fourth quarter of 2018 and 2,231 higher than the fourth quarter of 2017. Here's what's interesting. A while ago, we saw a viral story that was debunked showing satellite images of China and high levels of what they were claiming was sulfur dioxide. They then went on to say that this was proof of mass cremations and something horrifying was happening in China. And these were all debunked. Many fact-checking agencies, more than one, said this is not true. They're not really satellite images. They're not really tracking the, the, the right gas. Or sulfur dioxide is not, does not correlate to cremations. One site at the time when I was actually reading the story said it could possibly just be medical supplies. I'm always pretty skeptical. You're gonna have to do better than a picture off the internet with a blot, you know, with a, with a temperature gauge blotch over a city. So it may be that these stories were, were overhyped. But it's, it, it, it is interesting to see now that people are reporting a higher number of cremations. And even though they're saying that the numbers are down, they're delivering thousands of urns, several thousand more than were actually uh, reported dead from coronavirus. So it could just be, as they state in the story from Bloomberg, that when the hospitals got overwhelmed, other people died of other things. So of course they wouldn't be reported. I think based on what Bloomberg just said, as well as the report from NPR, we know that China isn't tracking asymptomatic carriers and they're not tracking everybody. And I think it's fair to say we have no reason to believe China. It could be, it probably is, in my opinion, that China is much worse off. Now that's scary. You see, many people in our country have tried touting, or I should say they they have touted. See, we've got good news. China's numbers are going down. They've bent the curve and no new cases. Bravo, good sir. That means we have hope. Hope is an important thing. We need people to believe there's a light at the end of the tunnel. Well, I want you to believe there is because I certainly believe there is because humans are resilient, tough, and we can adapt. But I'm not going to play games. China could be lying and this could be substantially worse. So I'm, I'm, I wonder if what's more important, preparedness or hope? You need a little bit of both. But if people get arrogant and complacent because they're like, oh, look, the numbers are going down, we're going to be fine. And they don't take care of this. They don't take care of themselves. They don't buy supplies. Then we could be worse off. It's better that we, we err on the side of caution. We do not trust China on this one. And we take care of ourselves to the best of our abilities, not listen to them when they put out lies. I think the best bet we can make is to assume it is substantially worse than anyone realizes. And I'll tell you why, man. China reports 47 new cases, but none in Wuhan. Interesting. China shuts down all cinemas again. If there were no new cases in in Wuhan, 
if there's only 47 new cases, is that why they're shutting this down? You know, they're now coming out and saying there's 47. So let's take a look at the data. This one is from uh, yesterday, yesterday morning. And the report on 47 new cases comes from March 24th. New infections from people who recently arrived from travel abroad. So China is, is, is arguing that people are bringing it back in. But we did see that some people got reinfected. I don't, I, don't, I don't buy it. I don't believe it. They're refusing to accept responsibility. They've been accusing the US government officials from China have been posting you know, tweets claiming that it originated here or that the military made it and put it there. A whole bunch of lies. But let me show you this from uh, Unpopular Opinion on Reddit. I find this fascinating. If you're not familiar with the subreddit, got a million uh, subscribers. This is, you know, people post things they deem to be unpopular opinions. And it turns out, lo and behold, they're actually popular opinions. So it's kind of a paradoxical subreddit. This post with 52.1 thousand points, meaning like upvoted, 75% of people have, appro- have, have pushed this up. We need to shame China instead of praising it. They're lying about all their numbers. I completely agree. There is no way in hell Italy has three times more deaths than China. There is no way in hell America has more infected than China. You're telling me a virus that kills people with lung issues, people that live in pollution, people in large urban cities and old people has killed only 3000 infected 80K in a country infamous for their poor air air quality that kills 300 to 400,000 people per year. Large majority of older smokers, about 350 to 350 to 370 million people in China smoke cigarettes bull effing s and all of these idiots here praising china for their work that's an effing joke here's why and then he posts a bunch of links that's right we saw people from nbc saying china's been a real world leader on containing this no they haven't they're lying are you nuts i don't believe them for 2 seconds this is a really great point 300 to 400,000 people in china die per year now it's not only that when we look at the numbers in the us compared to italy and everyone said, you know, they show the, the exponential graphs and it's like, oh, no, the U.S. is starting to get worse than Italy. Well, hold on. New York, the epicenter of the for, for the U.S. makes sense. First of all, you had a complete failure in leadership from Bill de Blasio and Andrew Cuomo. Now, look, I'll give Cuomo some respect now for the job he's, he started doing, but he dropped the ball in, initially. Bill de Blasio actively made everything worse. De Blasio, who he's the mayor of New York, for those who don't know, told everyone to go out. He's like, go out like normal. Don't worry about it. And so did, so did the, uh, his, his health staff. Cuomo actually resisted a citywide lockdown and said, get real, Bill, it's not going to happen. Now, here we are. The epicenter is New York. Well, New York's got a ridiculous population density. But when we look at Italy, they have a smaller population than the U.S. So yes, the United States is going to see way more infections. If you want to do a fair analysis, you would need to compare the United States to the entirety of Europe and then track, track those numbers. But even then, it's still difficult because the population density of Europe is much, is much higher on average than, than it is in the US. But with many more cities and many more places for infections to start bubbling up compared to a smaller country like Italy, you would expect us to see a larger number, hence 100,000. Not, not to mention New York, massive. There's something like 28,000 people per square mile in that place. It's, it's nuts. Well, now let's go look at China. How many people do they have? Like 1.3 billion and you're telling me that they don't have more, that, that, that's it, the numbers just stopped? No, listen, man, I can get it if they contained it in Wuhan. But with 1.3 billion people, substantially, a, a substantially larger opportunity for the virus to spread, you'd expect to see a couple hundred thousand at least, a per capita number or something on par with, with the average of the world. You don't see it. And I have to wonder why. Well, actually, I don't have to wonder. I'm going to make an assumption. 
China is lying. Some of the comments says uh, what the top comment is. It's also a weird coincidence that their internet activity has dropped significantly recently. That's right. And there's a lot of speculation as to why this happened, but something like eight to 25 million phone lines have vanished. I wonder why. Well, some people have put forth a pretty decent argument. If you're quarantined and not making any money, like our economy is shut down, you don't pay your phone bill. I don't know what works in China. In the US, if you miss your phone bill, they send you a notice saying you missed your phone bill. If you miss your phone bill a second time, they say you missed your phone bill a second time. And if you don't pay by this date, we'll shut you off. So it could be that in the past two months with the hard lockdown in many of these cities, these people weren't paying their phone bills. But I kind of, I don't know, is, a, is the phone the thing you don't want when, when you're in a crisis? I mean, there's a lot of things you could give up eating out. Uh, granted, I don't know exactly what the culture of China is like. You know, we here in the United States like to go to sports bars and stuff. But would we cancel our phone plan? I mean, it's not that expensive relative to other things we could give up if we were broke. It could just be that the people in China have no access, no ability to pay for it. But the other thing is landline phones have also been getting shut off. Same problem, I guess. Well, the conspiracy theory is that this is millions upon millions of dead. I don't think we can go that far because in the US and other places, we are not seeing the numbers you know, in the millions. We're seeing numbers in the thousands and tens of thousands. So it would make sense then if China had tens of thousands dead as well. And they're lying. Here's one said, uh, the number of registered phones has significantly dropped. I've seen numbers from 8 million to 25 million. Also, China just ordered all movie theaters nationwide to shut down. So, so, we, so we understand. Someone says, I'm not buying 80, uh, 80K cases in China for the past three days. Yes, yeah, seriously. So basically, a, a, lot, of, a lot of these are uh, very, very common. But I want, I want to give a shout out to Project Veritas. For those that are, aren't familiar, this is the uh, undercover news outlet started by James O'Keefe, who has been uh, smeared relentlessly in the press. But they did possibly the best piece of journalism pertaining to the coronavirus that we've seen yet, as, at least as it pertains to the United States. So my, my, my props and a shout out to O'Keefe and Veritas. They, they put out this video. It's about six months long. This is what, what is happening right now inside the hospitals in New York and New Jersey. Project Veritas is, well, I'll say notorious, because I don't want to say infamous or famous. It depends on what your political alignment is, I suppose. But they are very well known for their under, undercover reporting. James O'Keefe and I believe a couple other people, I, I think it was actually James, they went to the hospital and they tried to get a coronavirus test. I, my understanding is they weren't able to because he says, if you're not sick and you're not going to be a patient, then they, they don't test you, which means our numbers could be artificially low. It also means that the mortality rate could be substantially less this guy says, you know, if you're not a patient, we don't test you. And so a lot of people have been complaining about. And if we only test people who are in the hospital sick, it could be the mortality rate is very low. But needless to say, I mean, I, I, it's still important to point out a lot of people end up in the hospital. So they've got beds filled in certain places. People are panicking. We've seen the videos from the New York Times. But there's a reason why I think this is one of the best pieces of journalism to actually come out pertaining to this, because James and crew did three things. Well, first, they went to a bunch of different hospitals, but they found three important things. The first thing is that, yes, there are hospitals that straight up tell them, and this is candid, this is undercover stuff saying it's bad, people are dying here. And they do mention it's a lot of people with underlying health conditions like diabetes or lung issues. But yes, a woman's like, this is serious. You shouldn't be doing this. Like, because they, they mentioned they're traveling. And she says, you're going to bring this to everybody else. And people in this hospital are dying. And they're all wearing this gear. Seems legit. But then James goes to another hospital where they say, yeah, they think it's overhyped. The media is definitely, you know, pumping this stuff up, making it seem crazier. One woman says, 
you know, the people are freaking out because it's an unknown. And she doesn't think it's, you know, the apocalypse or anything or that big of a deal relative to what the media is saying. But I think what we're seeing here and why this is so important, a lot of people have been skeptical, saying they don't think it's happening. The media is hyping things up. Definitely. The media is hyping things up, but it is happening. So when you see this video coming from what the media would call a right wing, you know, new activist group or whatever, and they're showing you real doctors saying like, it's bad or yeah, it's pretty bad, but the media is hyping it up. We err on the side of it's probably bad. But uh, the Veritas crew, James, also did something really, uh, well, actually check this out. One of the guys they talked to was a security guard who was like, he was pretty serious, man. The stuff he's like, the stuff I've seen, man, they're, they're testing babies. Babies are born with it. It's serious stuff. So it's really interesting to see. It's not just about, you know, uh, doctors. They're, def- they're, they're, they're definitely saying, you know, people are being kept alive with machines. But in the end, James goes out to uh, near Times Square and walks around and shows what's going on. Man, I'm surprised nobody's done this yet. So, so I watched this video from, from Veritas and I'm like, We've seen photos from, you know, uh, from Manhattan, but no one's actually gone down, gone to the hospitals throughout the, the New York Metro, which is the epicenter, interview, uh, you know, got some statements from people, whether undercover or otherwise, letting people know it's legit, or at least for the most part, we should err on the side of this is going to be a serious problem. There was a bunch of posts on Twitter where people were saying things like, how come we're not seeing any videos from these hospitals? You know, it's the age of viral media. Certainly some, someone would post something. And some woman who works at a hospital in New York, I think the Elmhurst Hospital, which is, you know, very serious, like they're, they're dealing with a major influx. She went around and filmed a bit. She didn't film any of the people because we have privacy laws and you can't. And some, some of the doctors who have posted on social media about this, at least one I saw a story, got fired and refused to, you know, like they, they said, take the tweets down. You can't do this. And he's like, no. And so they fired the guy. You will lose your job. Now, the other question people have brought up is, well, what about, you know, patients? They can film. No, no. If you're in a hospital and you're brought into a room because you're in distress, first of all, the last thing the average person's thinking is like, I'm going to start filming everyone around me. It's a good way to get hit. And I'm not saying anyone should. I'm just saying, dude, don't go around filming people who are in an ER and people don't. The other thing was brought up was like, what what about the patients in the waiting room? Dude, the people in the waiting room, you're in a tiny isolated like waiting room. You can't go into the actual area where people are being treated because the doors are locked. And I'm sure if you're in the waiting room and you pull out your phone and start filming faces, you're going to get hit. So uh, that's why I think this is really great that Veritas did this. They actually got some statements from doctors. I err on the side of this is super legit. And China's definitely lying about it. And here's what you got to understand. While New York is the epicenter, it's not the worst thing. It's, it's, it's not, it's not as, as, as bad as it can be. It can get worse. So I don't know what the right move is. Do we keep, keep things shut down? Do we open things back up? I'm starting to err on the side of we need a measured reopening to a certain degree. I'm not saying... Just, just ignore all the you know, uh, social distancing measures and open the doors and let everyone get back to work. But we can do some things and slowly get the machine churning again. Otherwise, April 1st, man, a couple days away and those rent checks won't come and that ripple will be worse. But maybe it's too little too late. So anyway, that's the point. There you go. Uh, the US is seeing cases go up. And at least in New York, they're only going to test you if you're a patient, which means most of these people who are getting screened and these numbers are going up. These are people who are really sick. I don't know what that means. It could mean that twice as many people have it and the mortality rate is half as much because some people just don't get any symptoms. 
But uh, yeah, I'll wrap it up there. My shout out to Veritas for actually going in and showing us a, a nuanced view. Some doctors don't think it's all that bad. Some think it's very serious. And this makes sense. Not every hospital is being overrun. Some of them are in dire straits because they're hitting capacity. And it's funny when, you know, people are saying that New York, are, uh, someone tweeted, this is, the pr- this is proof that private health care makes no sense because all the states are, are fighting for themselves. All of these other states have ventilators. That why won't they give them to New York? And it's like, that has nothing to do with private or socialized health care. It has to do with the fact that there are different hospitals and different hotspots, which is what we're seeing from Project Veritas. Some of the hospitals are freaking out, some aren't. And yes, there are states that don't have that many patients, maybe, maybe a small few. And if they send their ventilators to New York, what happens when they get overrun and become a hotspot? That makes no sense. So, hey, look, man, you, I, give me an opportunity to say China's lying. I'll take it and, and we'll leave it there. I don't know where this goes, but I'm leaning towards it's going to get a lot worse. I really, really am. I'll see you all at 1 p.m. on this channel. Thanks for hanging out. The media is in full-on panic as mass laughs sweep the industry, or as BuzzFeed puts it, the coronavirus is a media extinction event. I think there will, uh, I think there we will unfortunately see more closures of newspapers, more news deserts as a result of this, said one publisher. Oh, oh, boo-hoo. And what does CNN say? CNN's article, hundreds of journalists are being laid off right when the public needs them the most. What I think it's really, really funny about this is that the media has been pumping out trash, garbage, fake news meant to shock and cause fear and has attacked the president for his unsubstantiated hope, notably CNN. And now they're getting laid off because of it. I think it's important to realize we're facing a serious and unprecedented event. I think it's also important to realize that many of these news outlets were trying to shut down any hope of success any hope of us getting through this with this constant fear-mongering. Fear-mongering. Donald Trump comes out and says, there's something I'm hopeful about, and they try and smack him down. And you know what happens? The more they sow fear, and I don't mean fear as in like, hey, these things are happening. I mean fear as in, we will never survive. Trump is the worst. He is failing this country. And the more they wiggle their arms and make people believe we can't beat this thing, people stop spending, they give up, and they start focusing on themselves. So a lot of these companies that are being shut down, they're not advertising. And the media is kind of getting a little bit of what they've dished back. And I think it's funny that they want us to be upset about it. Well, you know, look, man, my sympathy goes out to anybody who's been laid off or, you know, they've lost their job, been furloughed or received a pay cut because it's not cool that we're all dealing with this. It's an unprecedented event. I love to argue with, you know, the writers and their BuzzFeed articles and point out why I think they're wrong. This is not the right way. But if your industry is built upon exaggerations, hyperbole, lies, and fear, don't be surprised when you're one of the first to go. When everyone realizes, guess what? Your job was a vanity job. And I've pointed this out many times. Many of these people work in these news industries. They call themselves journalists, but what do they really do? They write about internet gossip. 12 pictures of Brad Pitt's junk. Oh, okay, yeah, journalists. Now I get it. There are real journalists losing their jobs like local reporters. And that's a really, really bad thing. Not these digital media outlets. I'm, I'm not super concerned. Look, man, you were getting paid like fifty to $60,000 a year. Not all of them, but some of them. We've seen the salary ranges. Some people at BuzzFeed get 90 to 100 plus. And what do you really do all day? You show up to your, your New York office eating your muffin with your, drinking your Starbucks and you try and figure out what to complain about. I know because I do basically the same thing. So I'm not, I'm not going to complain when, when it comes time for my industry, for what I do to, you know, to, go, to, to, go, to go south. Is this really necessary in an apocalypse? No, of course not. 
you guys should be focusing on, you know, if you're going to go spend money, go spend money on important supplies and things you might need. Well, BuzzFeed makes a ton of their money off cookware at Walmart. So I'll put it this way. It feels like independent creators aren't hurting nearly as much, though they are. Like most of my videos are getting demonetized. Apparently now YouTube is saying I'm going to be okay to talk about coronavirus stuff. We'll see what happens. But I've been getting, getting hit with waves of demonetizations. Fortunately for me, I'm just one dude in my house and I can't go anywhere anyway. So I've built something where I can work. These people are all collapsing and they are panicking because of it. Let's read the story from BuzzFeed. BuzzFeed says, oh, wait, wait, what's this? The journalists at BuzzFeed News are proud to bring you trustworthy and relevant reporting about the coronavirus. To, to help keep this news free, become a member and sign up for our newsletter outbreak today. I think it's funny that people attacked me because I have sponsors on my videos and I've talked about like, hey, bad stuff is going to happen. You should consider these things. I've, I've, I've said no to like the majority of people who wanted to run sponsor stuff on my, on my channels. Like, you know, I'm not going to get into it because I'll, I'll, I'll let them retain their privacy, but I've only done sponsor spots for a few companies when I think it's actually helpful or relevant. BuzzFeed is absolutely trying to capitalize on this. And I'm not, I'm not saying it's a bad thing. What does BuzzFeed do? They make media. So they made a newsletter, Outbreak Today, and you can become a member to get it. That's clever. Otherwise, they're going to go out of business, so I can respect them for trying to save their business. But how are you going to come after me if I'm like, sponsors are drying up, companies are going under, media people are getting laid off, and I'm going to promote something to help pay the bills. And then they all literally do the same thing. They're absolutely coming out now more than ever saying we're hurting. BuzzFeed says, as the reporters, photographers, editors, and designers at the Seattle Times report on a community stricken with the coronavirus... Their paper is also battling another serious threat. In just a few weeks, its local advertising business has all but disappeared. A cruel irony of the pandemic, which in the United States has grown to more than 42,000 KAA, we get this from a few days ago. Virtually all entertainment advertising is gone. Restaurants gone. Automobile advertising is just starting to get impacted. Alan Fisco, the president of the, and, and the CFO of the paper, told BuzzFeed News. The free fall in advertising comes amid a precip- uh, precipitous rise in readership. The paper's online traffic has been at times off the charts, according to Fisco, and subscriptions, which account for more than 60% of the company's revenues, are rising. But those revenues don't make up for the nearly total collapse of local ads. It's unclear if or when they will return to pre-pandemic levels. If you go back to events in the past where you've seen some big impacts to ad spending, does all of it come back? It hasn't. Well, you can always trust the media to write about themselves. And to an extent, I can't blame them. They live in this world where they're the, they're, you know, it's, it's me first, right? So all these journalists are now losing their jobs. They're freaking out. So what happens? They write about themselves. They look at all these stories. Oh no, paradigm shift. Oh no, layoffs. Here's, uh, here's CNN. Hundreds of journalists being laid off right when the public needs them most. I'm going to prove that's not true. Very simply. Take a look at this from Gallup. Approval and disapproval rating. President Donald Trump's approval rating is 60%. His disapproval rating is 38. The news media's approval rating is 44%. 16 points below Donald Trump. You want to talk about whether we need the media or not? I'm going to go ahead and say no. I mean, we, we do. We just don't need these, you know, these, these rage bait digital garbage sites. We need local reporting. Local reporting, uh, local reporting is very important. CNN is uh, crying, saying 2020 was supposed to be a banner year for digital media. BuzzFeed, Group 9, and Vice each indicated that this year they would be profitable. Talk about bad timing. A long, elusive goal for an industry 
bedeviled by diminishing ad dollars. But no one could have predicted that a global health crisis would hit just as business was picking up. BuzzFeed CEO Jonah Peretti told staffers in a memo that the company had been knocked off track because of coronavirus. Though we were well on track to be profitable this year, the impact of the coronavirus on the global economy will almost certainly cause the company to lose money, even as we take aggressive action to control costs. BuzzFeed was in, has instituted pay cuts and scaled back on travel and hiring, according to the memo. It was obtained by CBS News. Peretti will not take a salary for the rest of the year. Well, that's respectable to uh, Jonah Peretti, but I'm sure he's extremely wealthy anyway. Personally, I'd rather lose money than lose colleagues. Jane Litvin- Lit- Litvinenko, senior reporter at BuzzFeed News, tweeted, a record shattering 3.3 million Americans filed for unemployment last week after residents in many parts of the country were ordered to stay home and practice social distancing. Events were canceled. Bars were shuttered. Restaurants pivoted to take out only and ad dollars dried up. Many industries are reeling from the ramifications of the coronavirus pandemic and the already fragile media industry is now under serious threat. CNN Business reported on Sunday that at least 100 people in local newsrooms in the U.S. lost their jobs in March. By Friday, that number shot up to at least 300 people as the impact of the coronavirus continues to royal newspapers and digital media companies. And it gets better. First, let's talk about the economy. Once they shut down all the bars and local restaurants, right, that had a ripple effect. Local news outlets rely on, you know, Joe's Diner to buy an ad on their channel saying, come to Joe's. Many cable networks actually run local and regional ads too for, you know, Joe's Diner. Uh, Joe's Diner is not a real place. I'm sure there's some place called that. I'm just making something up. You get the point. Local businesses shuttered. The next wave hit media industries. It is a slow motion explosion and it's going to hit. This wave is going to hit everyone. You may feel like you're not affected right now, but it is coming to your industry because this disruption in in mainstream life, main street businesses is going to move outward. The next big hit we're going to see is the uh, uh, landlords, insurance, maintenance, janitors, you know, building manager stuff. All of these companies, April 1st, they're not going to see that rent money come in. And then we're going to see another wave of layoffs. So it's a slow motion explosion. One part of the economy just got pulled out and now it's going to have a major ripple effect. Many people, I mean, we're, we, we have a large service sector economy. So all of these wait staff, clerks, baristas, etc., gone, can't pay their rent. What happens? Well, we're going to pass this stimulus bill, but it does impact media. And the worst thing about it is that the big fake news, digital rage bait people are the ones who, who, who get past it for the most part. And that kind of bums me out, but they're going to get hit too. I'm going to get hit as well. And we all know it's coming. Advertisers, there are still many businesses and a lot of businesses that are flourishing right now. But this wave is going to come to your industry. It doesn't matter what you do. You, you, you could be, look, when, when someone can't pay their bills, right? So they don't take out ads for, for, for local media. Then the media can't support their staff and they cut, they, they lay people off. The salaries go down. Then all of those people can't pay their rent. Guess what? No landlords, no building managers. They're not going to be hiring contractors. They're not going to be hiring, you know, building maintenance, plumbers, electricians, carpenters, because they're not going to have the money for it. So then you're going to see all of those people take a major hit. Then they can't pay their rent. Then they can't pay their bills. This will then ripple to the electric company, to the local utilities and to the taxpayers. Or I'm, I'm sorry, to the, the, the tax payment system, the government. They're not going to have that income because the commerce is shutting down this wave of disruption, it hasn't affected everything yet. So many people, it's, it's like, it's a, you ever see Guardians of the Galaxy 
when all those ships are trying to stop the bigger ship and then one blows and it creates a big wave. That's what we can expect. Now, here's where it gets worse. Traffic boom. CNN says BuzzFeed avoided layoffs through salary reductions, but that strategy isn't being implemented, ev- implemented everywhere. Future PLC, which owns Laptop Mag, Tom's Guide, Live Science, and other publications is planning to lay off at least nine employees out of 59 in the union, according to a statement from its union on Tuesday. Here's what's interesting. A lot of these people are saying they don't know what's going to happen or why, but there has been a major boom in internet traffic because people are at home and have nothing else to do. Now, this has created a, a twofold problem uh, for many different creators. For me, particularly, I haven't really gained from it. In fact, my, my views have typically gone down. And one of the reasons is many people have no choice but to be YouTubers now. When we look at all these big journalists, like seriously, uh, 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 Richard Engel, for instance, when we look at these comedians, they're doing YouTube. Like, I know they're not really doing YouTube. Uh, they kind of are. But they're like sitting in their kitchen talking about stuff. And that's what a lot of YouTubers do. There's, there's, there's going to be an influx in content production. There may be someone who would normally make a YouTube video once a week, then they would go work a regular job. Now they can't. So all they can do is just make videos at home. This is increasing competition by a very, very large degree. However, for sites like BuzzFeed, they are seeing a massive uptick in, in traffic. And that also means they have to pay for that. When, when you get inundated with people going to your site, downloading stuff. It's not part, It's not the most expensive thing in the world. But if they see a major uptick, they're going to have to spend more for hosting while their revenue goes down. Look, if you have a million viewers and you sell an ad for, I don't know, coffee or something, you'll make money. If you then get 2 million viewers and you can't sell any ads, you are now paying twice what you paid before for the same hosting with no revenue. So it's even worse than just not having revenue. It's the ship sinking, man. And it's going to hit everybody. CNN reports, Rafi Letzler, Letzler, a writer at Live Science and member of the Futures Union, told CNN Business that the union is hoping management will find another solution to cut costs, one that will not require laying off people who he says are crucial to the company's news coverage. There is a concern across the board both in the unit and outside of it, that management does not understand the consequences of some of the layoffs they've proposed. In many instances, they're maintaining the accuracy and quality of coronavirus coverage. Everyone is working very hard, frankly, harder than the company has earned from them at this point. The sad twist about these layoffs and restructuring is that they come just as the public is hungry for information about the pandemic. But there are now fewer journalists to provide vital information about it. Traffic is up for many sites and TV ratings have increased as people are stuck at home watching the news and then learning that the media has been lying to them. So yeah, that's also bad for them. Lester has written a number of coronavirus news stories and explainers, including can homemade masks protect you from COVID-19? Letzler told CNN Business that their site's traffic has been the highest in its history. Wow. Future executives did not respond to multiple requests for comment. When CNN Business described the urgency to the company's phone operator, she said she was among those being laid off. Vox Media, which reported a profit last year, has not announced layoffs or pay cuts, though their CEO is saying they're going to make adjustments. While there will obviously be an impact at this point, it is too early to understand those implications. There were already some immediate cost savings that we will see from the suspension of business travel, off-sites, work at conferences, and other items. A Vox Media spokesman declined to make, uh, to make Bankoff available for further comment. The head of Geo Media, the company formerly, formerly known as Gizmodo, sent a dire email to its staff last week with the subject line, brace for impact. Yeah, 
I hope everybody does. Freelancers left in the lurch. So it's not just the people working. I mean, man, we're just coming off that AB5 bill in California, which basically disincentivized the hiring of freelance writers, which is a, a large portion of writers are freelance. Like, like Vice, for instance, will hire someone for one or two stories periodically. You can't do that anymore. There's a limit. So now you, companies like Vox actually severed the contracts with all of their freelancers. And that was the, the Democrat who pushed that bill. Now we're going to see the same thing. Similar. We're going to see all these companies say, we're not doing contracts anymore. Not right now. Or to a certain degree. I mean, the companies will still need written work and it is cheaper to hire a contractor, but they're going to cut off freelancers. They say local newsrooms continue to face constraints on their business. And this is specialing trouble uh, during a global. How many times are you going to say that? We get it. They just, okay, sure, fine. They go on to mention that there are people who are uh, in an interview with CNN Business, Kovacs emphasized the temporarily uh, so they're saying our newsroom with about 120 employees is the largest in Louisiana and the furloughs will chiefly impact people who cover sports and social events, which have been curtailed. Okay, we get it. I can't tell you what's going to happen in the future. What I can tell you is the media can't recover for this, uh, from this. The jobs won't come back, period. Many of these companies are running off of investment and they're struggling to be profitable. So there's nothing to come back to. They already had mass layoffs. One of the worst hit industries will be the media. And you know what? It seems like what we're, the, the, the global pandemic is rapidly getting rid of obsolete industries and services. What BuzzFeed and Vox and these other sites do is only somewhat still relevant. These companies have long competed with people like me. You know, I got started by just taking a GoPro and propping it on my monitor and then talking about stuff. I mean, to be fair, that's how I started doing commentary. For the most part, I would travel around, I'd film stuff, I'd make video edits. And then I slowly started doing more commentary for a combination of reasons. First, the more people watched my videos, the more dangerous it became to actually go out. And then it's sort of a natural evolution for a lot of, you know, field reporters who then move into the more commentary. But the biggest factor is, was, was the danger and the difficulty in going places when too many people know who you are. So I had, to take, I had to take that seriously. But I would just take a GoPro and I'd put it on my monitor right in front of me. And I just talk about stuff and I slowly improved from there. But my costs are, are relatively low compared to these people who have this massive staff. And to be honest, I don't know, I guess when it comes to these, these big co- companies like BuzzFeed, they're relying on a collective of people to combine their abilities to make a piece of content. When it comes to YouTube, people who are just naturally good and hardworking will rise up above most other people. So if you take a bunch of people who only somewhat are only somewhat passionate about news and you put them all together, you'll get a product. You take individuals, you know, I'm not trying to brag or anything, but people like me who literally take no day off, I don't take any days off. And I actually work double shifts most days. Well, then, you know, I'm going to do well for relatively little cost and they won't because their staff needs decent salaries, high enough salaries to pay their rent. And they don't want to work on weekends and they want to get out of the office as fast as possible. So that's normal. I'm not, I'm not dragging them for it. That's normal business. Well, that's going to be expensive for these companies to produce a video like this 20 minutes long. You know how much that would cost them? An obscene amount of money. Well, I mean, if it was just this, it wouldn't. But for a lot of these companies, when they want to produce a few minutes, it costs ten dollars to $20,000. They hire multiple people. They have all this equipment. They got to pay for travel costs. They got to give people per diems and stuff. And if they want to do like a 10-minute documentary, seriously, if they want to make something like 10 or 15 minutes to compete with the 20 minutes I just did, it could cost them 50 grand. I'm not kidding. And this is going to obliterate media. 
and it's going to leave in its wake people like me. One thing that's really kind of interesting coming from the pandemic is the rapid evolution of methodology in industry. We're going to see it. We've already seen a whole bunch of movies go straight to Amazon Prime out of the theaters because theaters are closed. This is an, I mean, we all kind of predicted this would happen at some point, digital download for, for movie releases. Watch it at home. Don't go to the movies. Well, now we're here. We had no choice. Now we're looking at the media collapsing. The, 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 the end of the media industry, the digital media complex, the rage bait nonsense is coming faster than ever because they could barely sustain themselves as it is. But I'll tell you what, with all these people bored at home and people like me who already built a, who already built a home studio and make a living doing this, we're the ones in the front of the race. These companies will go. And you know what? There's some bad there. Local news outlets, we do need them. We do need real reporting. I mean, look, I'm just commenting on what CNN's talking about. So we do need legit journalism, and that's going to be hard to maintain. But there are still people who do legit journalism from their home studios. I would say that, you know, most of what I do is political commentary, but I do a decent amount of journalism and original reporting as much as the left, you know, these people who don't like me don't want to admit it. It's actually true. I source, investigate, fact check, and I do all of the basics of journalism when I'm doing my, you know, commentary because it's, it's, it's a mix. There are a lot of people on YouTube who literally just do commentary. They'll have no sources and they'll just be like, I saw on TV, this guy say X, Y, and Z, and that's fine too. But there's a difference when you mix the two. So this is the future. It costs relatively little. Granted, I'm, I'm getting hurt too, right? And I have people who work with me on a variety of projects, so we'll see how things play out. But for the time being, the media's going by the wayside. And I'm going to take, I'll take a wild bet right now. I don't think anyone's going to care. I mean, they will, but for the most part, does BuzzFeed have fans? You know, are there people who wake up like, oh, BuzzFeed's so cool. And then they want to go to BuzzFeed. No, it's something you watch. Like you click a link someone sends you and you're like, eh, BuzzFeed. But personalities on Twitter, YouTube, and social media have a core audience. People who are actually like, I know and care and trust this individual. That's something they don't have and they won't maintain. I'll see you on the next segment coming up at 4 p.m. YouTube.com slash TimCast. Thanks for hanging out, and I'll see you then. Most of us, well, I assume most of us don't believe China when they say here are the, the real numbers. They're claiming they had no new cases over a certain period. Nobody buys it. But they are trying to lift restrictions. And this is resulting in some strange happenings and some desperate situations. One of the things that happened after they first lift the restrictions was they immediately put them back in place for theaters. Now, in the city of Wuhan, where they're lifting restrictions, they're still not allowing people to leave, which has resulted in riots. The Daily Mail reports, riots erupt in China's coronavirus epicenter Wuhan, where deadly bug was detected last year. As lockdown, travel restrictions are lifted for the first time in two months for 11 million people, but they're still not allowed to leave the city. Angry crowds rioted near the Chinese city of Wuhan after the region's two-month coronavirus lockdown was lifted, but residents were told they could not travel elsewhere in China. Shocking footage showed a mob overturning a police van on a bridge linking Wuhan, which is the capital of Hubei province, and neighboring Jiangxi. The violent scenes came despite a move by the authorities on Saturday to allow people in Wuhan from elsewhere in the country for the first time since coronavirus emerged in the city in late December last year. Hundreds of people were pictured arriving at the city's railway station on Saturday, but people cannot leave until April 8th, and the vast majority of shops are still shut. We can see the videos here where people started flipping this police van. Now, what's crazy is apparently the local cops 
were with them against the other local cops. I don't know exactly what the exact details are, but this shows I don't I don't want to I don't want to speculate too far in advance, but China is destabilizing over this. They're certainly lying. In the video showing anger at the restrictions, which was posted on the Twitter account of Radio Free Asia, crowds were seen clashing with police. The groups were seen hurling themselves at ranks of officers who were lined up to block the bridge across the Yangtze River. Some used police riot shields as makeshift weapons, and one man was seen kicking a police car's window. According to Radio Free Asia, the clashes were sparked by the authorities' refusal to allow people from Hubei to go to Jiangxi. People are said to have been heard chanting, let's go Hubei, as they clash with police. Now, you got to understand how serious this is. People in China get detained, tortured, put in detention camps when they even speak up for people to actually attack the cops in a riot and flip a vehicle down. I'll tell you what, man, it is easy for a government to deter its people at the threat of, you know, at gunpoint. In the United States, we have constitutional protection, so it's a bit harder and we're a bit, you know, I don't know, stubborn, hardheaded, liberty minded, I would say. But in China, they've been beaten down and this is a part of their daily life. I was reading about why it is that so many people refuse to speak up, blow the whistle, or, or defend themselves, and it's because they grew up in generation after generation of communist lockdown. This is their normal. To see these people going after the police and flipping vehicles says to me, the breakdown is substantially worse than we even realize. We see riots all the time. Now, there may be protests and riots in China for sure, but I don't know. To this extent, it seems like things are really breaking down in China. And what worries me is we're kind of looking to China and other European countries as a forecast of what we can expect. Now, it's not entirely the same. They got 1.3 billion people. They're an authoritarian communist dictatorship. But we can look to places like Italy. I think we're going to see people get arrested. I think we're going to see protests. If the supply chains get disrupted, man, it'll, it'll, it'll be bad. I've seen what people do when they don't have food. And what's your, what's your option? If you need to eat, you will find a way to eat. People freak out. They say Wuhan was placed under lockdown in January with roadblocks, ring fencing, its outskirts and drastic restrictions on daily life for 11 million inhabitants. The reopening of the city where the epidemic first erupted in late December marks a turning point in China's fight against the virus. However, the contagion has since spread to over 200 countries, infecting more than 600,000 people and killing uh, 27,674 so far in China. More than 80,000 have been infected, and there have been been 3,295 reported deaths. And I got to say, that sounds like complete BS. You mean to tell me that they've, they've been infected longer, they have four times as many people as we do, and they have, subs- like, are, they have less people infected than we do? I'm not buying it. Among those on the first high-speed trains allowed into Wuhan on Saturday, Saturday morning was Guao uh, Liangkai. A 19-year-old student whose one-month work stint in Shanghai stretched to three months due to the clampdown on movement. It makes me very happy that I can see my family, Guo told Reuters after being greeted by his mother at the the main station. We wanted to hug, but now is a special period, so we can't hug or take any actions like these. Authorities took draconian measures to stop people from entering or leaving the industrial city of 11 million people in central China. Families were confined to their homes. Bus and taxi services were shut. And only essential stores were allowed to remain open. We can see a whole bunch of photos here. Everybody's wearing masks. I think the resumption of work represents a kind of hope. It at least shows that China is victorious, said Zhang Yilun, 
35 returning to Wuhan for work. Now, I'll tell you what, we don't, we don't, I don't trust them, but they are easing restrictions and people are showing up back to work, at least according to these sources and these photos. It could all be lies and Chinese propaganda. I honestly don't know, but I think there's good reason for us to hope this is the case. Now, while we're watching riots because people want the, people want the quarantine lifted sooner, if this is the long, if, if this is the case, two months, it's good news, man. Because we've heard from these other outlets that, that it could be potentially two years. I'm not saying they're correct, but that could be a serious issue for us. China's National Health Commission said on Saturday that 54 new coronavirus cases were reported on the mainland on Friday, all involving so-called imported cases. Wuhan accounts for about 60% of China's coronavirus cases, but they have fallen sharply in recent weeks, a sign that the measures are working. The last confirmed locally transmitted case of the virus in Wuhan was on Monday. With the US, Italy, and Spain and other countries now battling soaring infections, China is focusing on the risk posed by imported cases, most of them Chinese returning home. Effective Saturday, China suspended the entry of foreign nationals with valid Chinese visas and residence permits. You may have seen my main segment video um, where I'm facing a quarantine. I don't know exactly what to do or what to expect, but I have seen some people say, too little, too late, Donald Trump. Notably, Brian Stelter of CNN said, it's too late. You're two weeks too late. You should have quarantined the city weeks ago. Everyone's already fled. I don't know when too little too late is. Perhaps it could be too late for the most part, but it still would make sense to, to, to lock down to a certain degree. I don't know. How would you enforce the same restrictions like we're seeing in China? If people in China are going to riot because they're not allowed to leave or enter a city, what do you think would happen if they did this in New York? People in New York riot already. They, they riot, you give them a reason and they'll start screaming, you know, eat the rich or the 99% or whatever, let alone locking them in when people are panicking and there's an actual threat to their health. I don't see how the U.S. can handle this. If it's true that China has been, has been able to reduce the number of infected, it may just be because they're an authoritarian dictatorship. Now, look, I am not praising that. I'm not defending that. The sad reality is with, you know, the more freedoms you have, the more risks you, you take on. And so that means, yeah, you can live in literal hell, like, you know, in China, where they have people in camps having their organs harvested. But it also means that after they force you to lock down and barricade you in your home, they can get through this much faster and more easily than we can. I err on the side of freedom. I would, I would, I would rather forego a bit of the security in exchange for the freedom. I would rather be relying on myself than crossing my fingers and hoping the machine would save me. They, they report. Staff, some in full body protective gear and volunteers bustled around the railway station in the morning, setting out hand disinfectant and putting up signs reminding travelers they need a mobile phone based health code to take public transport. Yikes, man. A worker walked through one metro station carrying a signboard reading, wear a mask for the entire journey. People should not gather. And when you when you disembark, please scan the health code. Everyone is taking the right precautions, so there shouldn't be a problem. Yuan Hai, 30, a passenger on a reopened metro line, said when asked about the risks. But you have to be careful, they added. The existence of an unknown asymptomatic of unknown asymptomatic carriers of coronavirus in China has raised concerns among the public that lifting the restrictions may release thousands of people who could still be spreading the virus that caused COVID-19 without knowing they are sick. Life in Wuhan remains far from normal. The vast majority of shops are shut while bright yellow roadblocks remain. Some people at the railway station, such as a woman who only gave her surname as Yang, said they were there to see if there was any chance people could leave earlier. Her grandson came to visit for the week, uh, week-long week Lunar uh, New Year holiday in January and has been separated from his parents in the southern city of Shenzhen ever since. And that's why I thought it was relevant to bring this up. 
Trump's talking about a quarantine, as I mentioned. Will we see something similar? People who are visiting friends stuck in New York or New Jersey, people trapped, not, not able to see their friends, people fleeing, or riots on highways because the government has locked things down. They say with schools reopening, they're hoping they can get back soon. Let's just uh, grab a conclusion on this one. They say, based on data from several quarantine facilities in Wuhan, between 5 and 10% of patients who had been pronounced recovered had tested positive again. NPR spoke to four people who tested positive for a second time this month. They reportedly did not show any of the classic symptoms of the virus, such as a fever or dry cough. The time from their first recovery to being tested ranged from a few days to a few weeks. And that may be, uh, it may be a mistake that China's opening things up. The fact that they would reshutter theater says to me, I wouldn't be surprised if they lock everything down again, because it's not enough. People are getting reinfected. They're testing positive. How long will this go on for? I don't know. And that's what worries me about the quarantine here in Jersey. I don't know if Trump's going to implement it, but if he does, am I stuck here for a long time? And how do I get supplies? How do I take care of myself? And will I be trapped here? For the most part, I'm a bit of a homebody working on these, you know, these two shows, my main show and then the Timcast IRL podcast with my buddy Adam. So we haven't really gone out anyway. And we just skate in the backyard, play video games and, and board games and stuff. So it seems like for us, things won't really change all that much. But my, my, my fear is if things never recover and things break down worse, I don't want to be trapped. I got a couple more segments for you coming up in a few minutes. I'll see you all shortly. I know it seems like the world may be burning down. No one really cares about Joe Biden. And even though a lot of political news is happening, everybody's glued to their TV screens about the pandemic. But I still thought it's important to at least keep up a little bit on what's supposed to be a major election. As it turns out, Tucker Carlson insists Joe Biden will not be the Democratic nominee. Here's who he predicts will assume the mantle. Well, let's not play any clickbait here on the Timcast show. It's going to be Andrew Cuomo, right? I think it is. Anyway, we'll read what he has to say. But come on, Daily Caller. I hate it when they do that. Just tell us. You know, I don't I don't like playing those games. But uh, let's see what Tucker Carlson has to say. I completely agree with Tucker Carlson. But hey, Joe Biden He's trying. That's right. Joe Biden is desperately trying to latch on to progressives who don't like him and never will. And the Democratic Party is going to lose. Look, man, now is no time. There have been a lot of articles talking about the potential for the elections being postponed. Well, the primaries already are. A general election? I honestly have no idea. But Joe Biden, what does he do? What if he just dropped out? I don't know. People are trying to ship, as they're saying, ship Andrew Cuomo. Well, let's read this story. The caller says, Fox News host Tucker Carlson predicted that former Vice President Joe Biden will not be the Democratic nominee that ends up facing President Donald Trump in November. After a slow start in the early primaries, Biden won South Carolina overwhelmingly in late February, and this we know. Carlson, however, speculated Friday on Charlie LaDuff's podcast, No BS News Hour, that Democrats would find a way to remove the in-decline Biden and replace him with a stronger candidate. Speaking of the coming reorder of our politics, Due to the coronavirus pandemic, Carlson said, I am utterly convinced and would bet money that Joe Biden will not be the Democratic nominee on Election Day. I just don't believe that. I really don't. Neither do I. What did you say? Asked a clearly surprised Ladoff. I sincerely and totally believe that Joe Biden will not be the Democratic nominee on Election Day. I don't believe that. How does that math work? Carlson said, well, the math doesn't work, but it's not about math. It's about will. So the Democratic Party is intent on taking power, period, period. And they mean it. And they're willing to do kind of whatever they think works. I mean, that's demonstrable. 
stating that Biden is not prepared and can't beat Trump or lead the country. Carlson noted his mental decline. He should be working. He shouldn't be working still. I'm not being mean. I know him. I've always liked him, but that's true. And so those are two trains traveling toward each other at high speed, two competing imperatives. We've got to win, but we've got a guy who can't win. Therefore, they're going to replace him. This is not the guy I've known. And you can ask anybody who knows him or has watched him, Carlson continued. That's not him. He's a completely different person and he's in decline and I feel bad about it. That'll be me someday. And I hope somebody loves me enough not to let me run for president. Then Carlson speculated on Biden's likely replacement. If I had to bet, I would think Andrew Cuomo would be the most likely to replace Biden. He said before a discussion about the 1968 Democratic Convention, when former Vice President Hubert Humphrey won the nomination despite not winning any of the state primary elections. Now, Joe Biden doesn't seem to get it. Biden, you cannot win over people who hate you. They're not part of the same party. They don't agree with you on anything, and you're just not going to win. This, to me, is an absurd, false reality. I don't know who's feeding Biden this BS. I guess he's going through the motions because he has to, but Trump is going to win, and there ain't nothing you can do about it. Now, okay, maybe Andrew Cuomo goes, enters the race. Maybe Cuomo wins, because right now on TV, what do we see? Trump and Andrew Cuomo. Biden is not even a part of this equation, but he's trying Biden mounts behind the scenes mission to win over where he progresses. I love this because it's going to be really great when he sees how you can't. You can't win over these people, woke authoritarian leftists. They'll never go for Biden. They hate him. Joe Biden's campaign is mounting an aggressive behind the scenes effort to address the biggest weakness of his candidacy, a lack of enthusiasm among the liberal base, particularly young voters. Don't call them liberals, man. These people are loony. Since his landslide victories earlier this month, Biden's advisors have engaged in talks with a range of top progressive groups, including some that endorsed his chief rival, Bernie Sanders, according to multiple sources familiar with the conversations. The outreach to left-wing organizations and individuals, representing causes from climate change and immigration rights to gun control, and mobilizing underserved black and brown communities is focused on young activists. Broadly speaking, they viewed Biden as one of the least inspiring candidates in the sprawling Democratic primary field. Bravo. What, what makes these people think they can win, that, win them over? It's a get woke, go broke. You know what happens in the movies? Yeah, come on. It doesn't work. I don't normally do these promo spots, but because everything's kind of gotten unpredictable and bad economically, I'm giving a shout out to readymadecoffee.com. I know it's not the most pressing thing, but if you really want freeze-dried 20, uh, coffee that can last you for 25 years, they come in these bins. My understanding is they're fully stocked and ready to ship. So if you're interested in coffee, you can go to readymadecoffee.com. Link is in the, in the description below. Instead of doing the normal YouTube commercials, which don't seem to be happening anymore because everything's being demonetized, allow me to, to uh, push some coffee on you. If you want to support the channel, this is one way you can do it. Check it out. Franklin's Finest. It comes with 720 servings. They say it lasts 25 years. And uh, that's me doing a commercial, which I rarely do. But let's go back to talking about Joe Biden trying to win over a crowd that absolutely hates him. Have you ever seen any of these movies where they get woke, change a character, and then people don't like it, and then the movies don't work? It's because you're trying to sell a product to people who don't have money. It's the easiest way to put it. The people who pretend to be woke and, and talk about these issues that you know Bernie, that, you know, Bernie Sanders might tout, they don't, they don't actually care. It's why even Bernie Sanders couldn't get the youth vote. They love to go on TV and claim they're all about this stuff, and then they don't show up to the polls. This means one thing. Biden can't win, period. 
you know, if, if, if Bernie Sanders is going to have enthusiastic support and can't get the vote, why would Biden when they absolutely hate the guy? Now, old people are going to vote for Biden. That's for sure. Politico says it's a delicate dance for both sides. For one, Sanders is still in the race. Oh, come on. Not really. Plus, the progressives recognize that their time and leverage to influence Biden is limited since he's all but wrapped up the nomination. Still, Biden needs to fix his enthusiasm deficit. That's one way to put it, which was partly masked by his wins this month. And it's far from certain that antipathy toward President Donald Trump alone will do the job. The activists are seeking commitments from the Biden campaign on their issues, knowing that any headway is likely to be on the margins. Biden, for instance, will never come close to Sanders on policies like Medicare for all. It's a distinction let down for them after coming tantalizingly close to getting Sanders as the nominee. To win the nomination now, Sanders would need to win more than 60% of the remaining delegates, which he won't. And Biden isn't even in the race. So what are we even talking about this at this point? Here's what I really want to get to. I, abs- I will point out again, I absolutely love that Tucker Carlson said this, but I don't think even Andrew Cuomo matters at this point. Now, maybe he's their last ditch effort, but it seems like the world is on fire. Did you see my earlier segments? The military is now engaging in like liaison with civilian authorities. What do you even call that? I don't know. There's so much more we have to worry about. I don't even understand why Biden is talking about this stuff. It seems like politicking as usual is a waste of our time at current in, in, at current present. So what if Biden wants to implement some kind of policy? The only debate that should be happening right now on policy should be the policies that protect us from the coronavirus, bring our economy back, and just generally keep people safe. You want to talk about Medicare for all? Now is not the time. Oh, they'll argue it is, but no, it isn't. Do you know that the US mortality rate for the coronavirus is actually relatively low compared to the rest of the world? Man, it may just be that privatized healthcare does work. I'm not saying I know for sure it does. There's a lot of reasons why the mortality rate may be lower here, but it's entirely possible that what we have is some weird hybridized system, but perhaps it is just more advanced and better than in other countries. Just because a country has socialized medicine doesn't mean you're guaranteed to get good care. You go to Canada, they don't have a lot of technology we do. So anyway, I digress. I don't want to talk about healthcare. The point is, what can Joe Biden really talk about right now? The American people generally approve of what Donald Trump is doing. So even if Andrew Cuomo was the last ditch effort, it would be a waste of time and effort, and it would waste a potential candidate for 2024. The reality is the Democrats are going through the motions, in my opinion. They have, they're stricken with anxiety. They've been saying it nonstop. People are pointing out that Biden won't even, Biden can't even talk straight anymore. He's getting worse, and he's exponentially getting worse. Have you seen these videos of Biden lately? It's like every day, he's like, a, like 5% worse than he was the day before. He's in decline, but he's in decline faster and faster. It's an exponentially worsening situation. What does this mean for November? Try and imagine it. I can't. I have no idea what to expect. They have nothing. There is literally nothing left for the Democrats to say or do. Donald Trump has basically won. And if we get through this pandemic and we get through it well, Trump is guaranteed re-election. Now, as I mentioned several times, we're facing a potential quarantine for Trump. I don't know what he's going to announce, but he may quarantine three states or at least New York City or parts of these states. That may be wildly unpopular. It may hurt him in the long run. But most of the country might actually like that. And to be honest, was New York really going to vote for Trump in the first place? Probably not. Neither was New Jersey or Connecticut, in which case most of the country might actually support quarantining this hotspot to protect the rest of the country. In the end, if Joe Biden can't talk about anything, he certainly won't be the nominee. And if he is, it'll be going through the motions for no reason. 
There were a lot of reasons why I thought Donald Trump was going to sweep with like 500 electoral votes. At first, it was because Joe Biden was nothing. He's useless. And it was because the economy was doing well. But now I think it's because Biden is useless. But the serious crisis, Americans are turning to Trump and they're liking what he's saying. Not, not all of it. His favorability is still, you know, people think he's kind of a dick, but they appreciate that he's getting the job done. And quarantining New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut, parts of it might make Americans pretty happy. I guess we'll see. I got one more segment coming up for you in a few minutes, and I will see you all shortly. This I cannot say I am surprised by. Well, actually, no, no, no. I am absolutely surprised that Donald Trump praised Rachel Maddow, for sure. But then Rachel Maddow basically, figuratively, spat in his face over it. That is not surprising to me because partisans going to partisan. Look, man, I'm more than willing to give respect to anybody when they do the right thing or do something good. And I'll even say to Rachel Maddow, Trump praised her for putting our military on full display because she had a guy on. She had, uh, who's this guy? General uh, Seminite on the show and Trump thanked her for it. And you know what? Rachel Maddow having this guy on, it was a good segment. I can respect that. And I have no problem shouting out anybody left, right, up, down, whatever. If they say something that makes sense, it's the right thing to say. Good. You know, encourage people to do better. But Rachel Maddow responds to Trump and basically, you know, did you, did anyone show you the rest of the show? Uh, Did Trump need to see it to give you a compliment for doing something good? These people are are just, it's insufferable to me. Take the compliment. You know what I would say? I'd be like, appreciate the kind words. We look, you know, we we look towards doing a good show with people that matter. I am absolutely critical of you in many other, many other capacities, but at least we can say this one good thing, right? Hey, now's the time we come together. It's why Trump reached an olive branch and Rachel Maddow smacked it out of his hand. You see the problem here? It's not, it's not, it's, you know, it's not all the way. Okay. I want to say it's not the conservatives doing this. Sometimes it is, but it tends not to be. Of all people, Trump said, hey, thanks, Rachel Maddow. And she basically was like, no, thanks. Well, what are we supposed to do? How do we come together if one side absolutely refuses? President Trump tweeted praise for MSNBC host Rachel Maddow for showing how great a job the federal government is doing. Thank you to Rachel Maddow for putting our military on full display and showing how great a job the federal government is doing. Trump tweeted, also a special thanks to General Seminite, a patriot of the highest order and truly talented engineer and builder. Now, I know a bunch of lefties are going to be like, Tim, he was being sarcastic. He was insulting or ah, I don't see it. Yeah, maybe don't see it. If someone said, Tim, like nice shirt, Tim, I'd be like, thank you. It is a nice shirt. I like it a lot. Why would I why would you assume negative intent? That's what concerns me. Trump's tweet included a video from an interview with U.S. Army Corps of Engineers commanding General Todd Seminite on Thursday, on Thursday night's The Rachel Maddow Show, during which Seminite explained how his corps is fighting the coronavirus pandemic by constructing temporary hospitals. Now, Trump tweeted out her show. I can only imagine he was sincere in saying thank you. Like, what, what is this? And she had to, you know what, man? Seminite explained how hotels, sports arenas, and other buildings already built to code for fire safety with fire safety can be converted, converted for use in the coronavirus fight. Thank you for speaking about this with such clarity, Maddow told the general. It inspires confidence, sir. Good luck with your work. A strong and frequent Trump critic, the liberal MSNBC host on Tuesday called for a media blackout of the president's press conferences as an effort to not amplify misinformation. Now let's think about how remarkably stupid this is. This guy was called in by Trump. Trump is one guy. He doesn't make the entire government. Every time a president comes in, they have available resources and Trump has tapped the appropriate resources. And even Rachel Maddow is praising it. 
You don't got to like the president's attitude to say it was a good thing he called in the Army Corps of Engineers, right? He's the commander in chief after all. And even Rachel Maddow was saying, you're doing a great job. Thank you. And then what? F Trump? Dude. Well, MSNBC's Rachel Maddow responds to Trump's interview praise. Did anyone show you the rest of the show? Oh, you got to do this, man. You can't just take the olive branch and say, while we disagree greatly on so many things, I do think you did a good job in calling in someone like, you know, General Semenite, who is a, a good guy who's fighting the good fight. And I respect him. In fact, he's doing a better job than you, but we can say that for another time. That would be acceptable, right? Let's read what they say on Newsweek. Before I do, I got to do something I rarely ever do and give a shout out to today's sponsor, Virtual Shield. As you know, in this time right now, the economy has taken a major hit. Media companies in general are getting hit pretty bad because ad rates are dropping. But for me, I get a special hit. YouTube's demonetizing like most of my videos on the coronavirus, 95% or so. Now they tell me I should be cleared soon. So hopefully, but for the time being, Virtual Shield is helping me pay the bills and keep the show floating. And look, I, I got to be honest, I don't really shout people out, but they've been here since I started. They were my first sponsor. They've always been there for me. Virtual Shield is a virtual private network service. It provides you simple security for your web browsing and for your computer when you're at home. I always tell people, you never expect anyone to break into your house, but you still lock your windows and doors anyway. Virtual, virtual, virtual Shield's virtual private network. You can go to hidewithtim.com. The link is in the, in the, in the description below. 30% off, $3.50 per month, and you will get that same basic level of security. Makes it harder for hackers and certain bad people. Makes it harder for them to steal your data and spy on you. So if you're interested, hidewithtim.com. Serious thank you to Virtual Shield for helping me, especially right now when this kind of stuff, it, you know, people aren't really advertising a whole lot. You know, I'm, it, it's getting worrisome. So, uh, and, and, and thank you to everybody who watched, who, who, you know, you understand why, you know, I give shout outs to sponsors, but uh, I, I sincerely do have, have nothing but gratitude for Virtual Shield. Great product. And they, they've helped me since I started all these years ago. Let's get back to the story. Newsweek says, MSNBC host Rachel Maddow responded to a few rare words of praise from Donald Trump by pointing out several ways he's personally leading the worst national response of any industrialized nation in the world. Maddow recently interviewed General Seminite. We know that. Uh, and then Trump thanked Maddow that we know for putting the military on full display. The MSNBC host graciously accepted the president's compliment before launching into a series of posts labeling the Trump-led U.S. response as a catastrophe and listing bullet points detailing where the federal government must take immediate action. Maddow provided the president with a link to the full segment, which offered scathing criticism of Trump's chaotic coronavirus response. By the way, did anyone show you the rest of the show from last night? You know, it's funny. Most Americans support what Trump is doing. His approval ratings through the roof. You want to be the odd person out and be on the wrong side of history? Sure, that's what they call it, right? You're on the wrong side of history, they say. Then you go ahead and do it. I'll tell you what you could do. Drop the snark, okay? You got real criticisms. You encourage the good. That's what you do. I've said it over and over again. I always tell when I see, you know, there have been many people who have done bad things and I've given them an, an opportunity to do the right thing, to highlight the good and encourage the good behavior. If you don't like Trump and he does something good, you say, Trump, that was good. Do more of that and I will like you. And then he does. And congratulations, you've won the man over. But instead, you get a wrist slap. The olive branch comes out. Rachel Maddow has to maintain her persona, even though she's in the minority here. That's that's the craziest thing to me. A lot of things Trump has done uh, on foreign policy, for the most part, I've been critical of. Not all of it, actually. He's done some good stuff. I, I always bring this up. So forgive me if you listen to me say it a lot, but a lot of people may be curious. You know, the North Korea stuff was a good thing. Crossing the DMZ was dangerous and it was symbolic and it was powerful. But the Middle East stuff, bad. 
and I can criticize him for it. I have no problem. But I also have no problem praising him on the economy, recognizing that according to the polls, it's a minority of people in this country who support the president. For the most part, he has a lot of support when it comes to his job on the economy. But now with the coronavirus, it's not even a question. Every, like the majority of Americans, including a large portion of Democrats, support what he's doing in terms of the coronavirus. So who are you, Rachel Maddow, to smack away an olive branch and then claim you know better about his response on the coronavirus? I'll put it this way. Let's say Trump has to make 10 decisions and seven of them are, or let's say two of them are, oh man, kind of okay. Five of them are pretty good. Good job, Trump. And then three of them are pretty bad. Rachel Maddow essentially takes the three worst things and says, look at this disaster. Rah! Instead of talking about the things he's doing that are actually pretty good. And then you get the media trying to make good things sound like bad things. So Trump came out and said, we got a potential treatment here. Hydroxychloroquine and azithromycin. Man, hey, I'm hopeful. Small studies promising. It may work. It may not. That's actually what he said. What does the media say? Trump encourages a guy to drink fish cleaner. Not even, not even legit. And it's totally fake. And what about Andrew Cuomo? Says the same thing. What do they say? Nothing. It's because the people in media like Rachel Maddow don't want to be praised. They don't want Trump to be right. They run a show. Their show is to attack the president no matter what. I'll be honest. I do something similar, but guess what? I have no problem with, with and I, you may have heard me say it a lot. I know, forgive me, but when Elizabeth Warren talked about big tech, when AOC talked about big tech, when AOC worked with, with Cruz on lobbying, I absolutely praised all of that. And perhaps it's fair to say that Rachel Maddow is doing something similar, I guess, pointing out, you know, all of the worst things. Listen, the reason why I think she's absolutely on the wrong, wrong side of history and why we are correct is if you look at the polling for Trump, it has tracked positive. So when I say, hey, Trump just did a good thing. And then all of a sudden the rest of the country is like, we agree. I'm like, yeah, I, I, I think it's safe to say we were right about that one. Or I'll, I'll put it this way. If I say, hey, Trump just did a thing, it's actually a good thing. And then a bunch of people benefit from it. So they support the president. That's a reflection of the right side of history. Trump is being praised by the American people. He's bringing in good people and nothing. And no, he's not perfect. Far from it. But right now we're trying to survive a global pandemic. And a lot of us are really, really scared, man. So the last thing I need is for you to dump a bucket of cold water on my face when I'm already worried about what's going on with the federal government's response to the coronavirus. The best thing I can do to quote Joe Scarborough is support the president and and help him succeed in this. But the media companies are taking a hit because ad rev is down. So they're going to go nuts as they sink beneath the waves and drown. They desperately grasp at the straws above them and screech to, to, you know, to no end in a desperate plea to get something out of it. If the president gives you a compliment, you say, thanks, Mr. President. I am critical, but I appreciate it. Let's come together and do the right thing. I'd take it. Look, if, if, if any one of the people have ever criticized or praising me, I'd be like, I appreciate it. Thank you. Wow. That's, that's, that's fantastic. In fact, it's really hard to, to, you know, be angry at someone or hate someone when they actually do give you a chance. Like, think about it. You ever have someone you are mad at and they apologize to you? All of a sudden you can't be mad anymore. You feel bad. You're like, oh, be nice to me. Not always, but sometimes if, if someone you didn't like came and apologized and tried to have a real conversation with you, guess what? We find this, that when people drop the caricature of each other, they actually have a good conversation. If Rachel Maddow said nice things about me, I, I'd be like, hey, appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I'm critical of your show, but I respect the compliment. I'd leave it there. Build bridges, not burn bridges, you know, whatever. Well, I'm hoping I'll see you all tomorrow at 10 a.m. on the show as per usual. We'll see what Trump has to say later. Thanks for hanging out. I'll see you all next time.